the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Abounding Grace, all Israel shall be saved. Romans 11, verses 25 through 36. Under the microscope next. Join us. What is the end for Israel? How will things flesh out for them, especially since so many of them rebel against the grace of God in Christ? Well, here in Romans 11, verses 25 through 36, we read, All Israel shall be saved. But what does that actually mean? And how will that come about? And when? These are questions we're answering here today on Abounding Grace. We invite you to spend time with us as we continue our exploration of Romans. Here with today's broadcast is Pastor Gary Wagner. This covenant does not give us justification for thinking. We need to make sure the Jews get Palestine. And they need to be sure and grow some red heifers in the backyard and start back up the ceremonies and the sacrifices. This is pure silliness. And it is really bad misreading of Scripture because God's covenant with the Jews was always and fundamentally redemptive. The land, the ceremonies, the priesthood were all types of the greater reality which was coming, Jesus Christ and his accomplishment of redemption. It is sad that so much of the church doesn't believe God's word about this. There's so much furor in the church. We've got to support Israel. Does Israel believe in Christ? No. Is Israel the majority still cut off? Yes. But by supporting them as much as we do and waving the pro-Israel flag, we actually hinder the greater glory that is promised them Because what is promised is not that Israel gets its land back. Israel gets to offer some sacrifices and then maybe they can get their temple mount back. That's not what God promised them. Those things are fleeting. Jeremiah said the temple, the temple, the temple. That's what they're all crying about. But the day is coming when they won't even remember the temple any longer. Why? Because Jesus has built a true temple, his church, and he has offered the once for all sacrifice. We in the church, when we encourage this kind of, let's have the sacrifices, and let's go out and see what these things look like, all we're doing is encouraging their unbelief. That is all we're doing. Instead of saying, wait a minute, God's covenant. Oh, and you shall call his name Jesus. Matthew 1, 21. For he shall save his people from their sins. That is the covenant, beloved. And God will fulfill it even 
when men forget it. Now, Paul here interludes in verses 28 and 29. He says, now remember something here about the Jews, because he knows this is back and forth. I know, I, I feel it. The Gentiles were unbelievers, but now they are believers. The Jews were cut off, but now they're brought back in. Wait a minute, the Jews were God's people, but now they're cut off. And yeah, but now that's not the final story for them. God's going to bring them in. It's a marvelous plan, is it not? <clears throat> it takes your breath away. So he reminds us in verse 28, he says, I understand that concerning the gospel, the Jews are enemies now. Right now they are still enemies because the majority has rejected the gospel. Who was the leading enemy and persecutor of the gospel in the first century? The Jews. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Makes it very, very clear. Paul here says the greatest persecutor of the church in the first century was the Jews. And God's judgment against them in those days was severe. It seemed to be final when the Roman armies came in like an infestation of grasshoppers and just destroyed everything. But God cannot forget his covenant and his people to take away their sins. That's the reason he sent his son into the world, to the Jews. John 1.11, he came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. So even though at present, verse 28, they are enemies on account of the gospel, but as touching the election, which I think here probably refers back to his covenant or God's choice of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So on the one hand, they are enemies because they rejected the gospel. But on the other hand, we need to remember, God loved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Back to verse 15, the holy root that God set apart for himself. God is not going to forget his covenant with them. Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers, he began his great work of saving the Jewish people. Through the Jews, he brought his son into the world to save sinners, Jews and Gentiles. And one day God is going to bring salvation back to the Jews and it'll be, it will be like riches from the world. So we need to be very careful. There is a sense in which what Jesus told the Samaritan woman is still very true today. Salvation is of the Jews. Now that doesn't mean the Jews have a corner market on it. And they're cut off now, but that doesn't mean we should be pro-Israel in the modern political sense of the term. But it does remind you, the God of Abraham prayed. And I worship Abraham's God and mine. God has had one purpose since his, he first gave his word to that man who came out of idolatry, Abraham. And that was, he intended to save the family of Abraham and through Abraham, all the nations of the world. And even though those former people, the Jews, fell away, he intends for the sake of the fathers and of his covenant to bring them back in. This cannot happen. This would require me to totally alter my reading of what is going to happen because I tend to look at everything a miracle-centric 
which in these days is a horrible way to look at anything, really. I tend to look at American exceptionalism, but American barbarism is truer to the fact we need to look at things from a God-centric, theocentric, gospel-centric, Christocentric view of history. God does not change. He doesn't look at the passage of 4,000 years and say, man, I'm getting a little creaky over here. I'm getting tired. You see, we get tired in 20 years. Really, we get tired in about two minutes. God doesn't even sleep. He doesn't need to. What we look at is a long time and circuitous. God looks at, listen, you have no clue at what I'm doing. I'm getting you here to draw it out for us so that you will be humbled, so that you will give yourself to this great work that I have called my church to do. So he says in verse 29, my gifts and my calling are without repentance. I never repented of them. I've never repented of giving the Jews, going back to chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, everything he gave them. Verse 4, who were Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises who are the fathers and whom, of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. God has never repented of those gifts to the Jews. God said to Abraham, I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. Abraham, through you, I will bring salvation to all the families of the earth. Understand, beloved, God remembers that covenant he made to Abraham. He renewed that covenant and he expanded it through Moses and, and through David and through the prophets. He brought it in the new covenant through Jesus Christ. It is all just a continuous thread. God remembers he says, when I give gifts, when I call men and peoples to myself, I never, 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 ever change. I don't need to. My plans are perfect. Think about the Jewish condition for the last two millennia. They've really been a vagabond people, variously treated, sometimes extremely bad, sometimes persecuted and slaughtered. Their response has been what? The whole lump is in their enclaves, emphasizing Jewish uniqueness. Study their mystical Kabbalah. Twist scripture. Try to control banking and financing. And all this stuff we have come to know. There was a book written a couple of years ago by Neil Gabler about how the Jews invented Hollywood. Now it is not a conspiratorial book. It was the New York Times bestseller list for weeks. And he basically goes back and documents how the first five leading movie studios in Hollywood, MGN, Fox, Paramount, Warner Brothers, and even RKO, were all begun by Jews such as Louis B. Mayer, William Fox, and Samuel Goldwyn. One of the things that was on their minds was they had to undermine Christian morality in the United States. So all of this has been going on. Do you know what God's response to this is? Well, I'm going to deal with them. But I'm also going to save them. Because I don't forget my covenant. And yes, 
we can look at the Jewish people today and say, all these curses, where did they come from? All this sorrow, where did it come from? Because God's covenant word never, never, ever fails. Whenever God uttered one sentence 4,000 years ago, Abraham, I'm going to save you and all of the families of the world. That word controls everything that happens in human history from that moment that God gave it. That is what is controlling history. And then I wonder how little do we think of the covenant in our own world. Maybe there's a lot of people out there today claiming to be Calvinist and all this kind of stuff. And there's no thought of covenant, even though the word occurs 450 times in Scripture. It is the leading word to describe how God relates to us and how he carries out his purposes. God made a covenant, and this gives incredible assurance to us. Because don't our lives go up and down like this and we're up here one minute and then we sin and we're all the way down here how do you get back up well yeah i'll be good for a while be good for a while never did anyone any good god either brings you up by his covenant or you just stay sunk because god remembers his promises i will take their sins away We ought to be so encouraged that God always keeps covenant with us. Do you ever think about that? Maybe you're thinking my family is strained and has walked away from the Lord in some ways. How are we ever going to get back? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what Jesus did. And I'll make myself a cat of nine tails and verbally whip my wife until she does what I want her to do. I'm going to verbally and physically whip my children until they get back in the line and do what they're supposed to do. When in reality, this passage at a very practical level teaches us the way men get back. The families get back the way the Jews will get back. And it's not by beginning with us, but by beginning with God's covenant. This is my covenant, he says. I will take away their sins. My gifts and my calling are without repentance so that we need, so, so that do we need to do? What do we need to do? We need to get on our faces before the Lord and say, Lord, hallelujah, you are faithful. I've been unfaithful, but you are definitely faithful. I'm weak, but you're strong, so help me remember your covenant What do you pray for when you ask for forgiveness and you say, in Jesus' name? I hope it's more than just words. Because what really we should be saying when we say this, in Jesus' name, Father, remember your son. Remember your covenant. I will take away your sins. Why will he take away your sins? Because the Son of God shed his precious blood to seal that everlasting covenant. Please, please think about these things more. We can't begin to exhaust them in one sermon and think about how God's word, God's covenant promises shape the course of your history, the Jews' history and the Gentiles' history. Thinking even about that, we wonder, man, it seems like it's getting late in the day. How do we work when it's not? 
God is the one who causes the sun to rise and the moon. So we don't need to worry about the seasons because we need to trust him. God's word is shaping Gentile history. Why does the West look like it does today? Because the bad guys have been successful. Well, maybe on a human level we can say that. But I think at a higher level we have to say because most Western men have rejected God's word. And so God says, okay, I know I knew this was going to happen. And now I'm going to judge you with all of your statism and all of your blindness and throwing trillions of dollars down the toilet of education and science and defense. I'll just let you spend yourself into oblivion because you did not bow before my grace to you. Now I've gone way farther than I really wanted to. So let me conclude here by looking at verses 30 and 31. Because we need to understand the dynamic of how all this is going to come to pass. In verse 30, he mentions the Gentiles and how in the past we didn't believe God. Yet now we obtained mercy through the Jews' unbelief. The Jews rejected the gospel. God brought the Gentiles in and they obtained mercy. Verse 31. Even so these, the Jews, have also not believed. They rejected their own covenant. And yet through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. What does that mean? The point here is back to what he said earlier. When the Jews see the Gentiles enjoying their blessing, boy, it's really sad. That's all they see is us enjoying the gospel blessings. You know, one of the worst things we can do as Americans is attribute our blessings to the American way. Because that undermines exactly what Paul says here, at least as Christians. We may not be the majority in this land anymore. And I understand this. But at least we need to profess to men the reason we have been blessed is because Jesus Christ and his blood and righteousness. So the Jews will be provoked. So that they will be pointed to not the American way or the military way or their scheming way. That we can do it. We can, we can do it our way and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. No, it is because of God's goodness and mercy. That is what Paul is talking about here. As we are blessed and as we have attained mercy, the Jews will be, will be provoked to jealousy. Now, we can't do this, but God will do it as the Gentiles give him praise and glory and attribute all their blessings to him. And then Paul concludes in 32, for God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Now, the verb here means to be hemmed in, to be shut in, almost like on a precipice. And this is a powerful idea. Paul stated early in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Gentiles, they tried that before Christ came. They tried their philosophy, their statist empires. They tried even totem poles, and they tried superstitious idolatry. They tried human sacrifices. They tried black magic. And where did he get them? Nowhere. We would have destroyed ourselves had God not come and hemmed us in and given us the consequences of our sins 
so that we would be revoked to seek life and salvation through Jesus Christ. In some way, the Jews now, they have nowhere to turn either. God has hemmed them in. They've tried everything, scheming, getting political alliances behind them, controlling the money supply, everything. It won't do them any good. They're hemmed in by their unbelief. Why has God done this? Why does God shut men in when he sees them in unbelief and sin? It is so he can show us the consequences of rejecting his word. Has he done this in your life? Maybe I can make this more personal and show you what the apostle is talking about. Many of our personal testimonies say the same thing. Well, I've tried this. I've tried pleasure. I've tried drugs. I've tried casual sex. I've tried things just for something to fill the void of my life. I've tried money. I've tried big business. I've tried nice this, nice that. And yet it seems the more I tried, the more I was just hemmed in. I didn't have anywhere to turn. It just didn't satisfy me. We try to convince ourselves, oh, this time it'll be different, but it isn't. Oh, this time it'll work. It was all a dead end. It was all futile. But then someone came to you. And they told you about a God who created everything, including you, out of nothing. And then as your conscience was pricked by this, they told you of God's mercy in Christ. Oh, there's a remedy. I can be delivered from sin and guilt and its consequences. There is a Savior. And then we believe God's promise of mercy. And we embrace Jesus Christ. Please understand that is what God is doing on a cosmic scale to individuals, families, and peoples. But then, unfortunately, many rage against God's truth like they are today. And they delude themselves and say, this time, this time sin will work. This time the sexual revolution will work. This time statism will work. This time socialism will work. That's what we're hearing now today. This time... Killing your babies in the womb will work. This time, this time, this time it will work. And God is hemming them in. So they will reap the consequences of what they have sown. And what is God, why is God doing this? We've got to remember in sowing and reaping, God not only sows his word, but sometimes he allows the enemy to sow in tares And maybe for a generation, he allows sinful men to eat on those tares to show the awful consequences of unbelief. And again, why? That he might show that he can have mercy upon them. Let this sink in. Why would God adopt such a plan? We know only the barest outlines of it. But it's because he delights in mercy. He delights to show mercy To foul sinners. Why does he delight to show mercy? Because he is good. And he is loving. And that is his name. The Lord God merciful. And gracious. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He will by no means. Leave the guilty unpunished. But he delights in mercy. 
And he will continue to light in mercy and continue to hem men in and show them the consequences of sin until every home and hall in this world echoes with the praises of his mercy. I was a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. The world will be saved. That is why Christ was sent into the world. The fullness of the Gentiles will come in. All Israel will be saved. This is God's covenant. It is his promise. It is his purpose. It is the way he is working. And he will not be thwarted. For every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.